You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. John 5, 1-15 Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus followed him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Well, I'm going to introduce and welcome our guest pastor today. Christian Huntley is a new coordinator for leadership and pastoral development at the LCMC. That is a Lutheran Congregations in Mission for Christ, and that is the body in which the Y Church belongs to. Christian is the husband to Jenna, dad to Vera and Georgiana. They live in the St. Croix River Valley, where Christian served eight years as a pastor at Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church that is in Afton, Minnesota. He's in this new role recently, so we're so thrilled he's here today. He's a passionate follower of Christ who loves watching people flourish in their fit and community with Christ, and he enjoys, like many of you, hunting, golfing, all the fun stuff, and travel. I just learned that he is interested in traveling to the Holy Land, and so as you greet him today as he leaves, some of you who went to the Holy Land could share a highlight from your experience. I also know that he loves a good podcast, and so if you've got a podcast, recommendation. Please greet him as you leave today, and would you give him a warm welcome? Thank you. Well, good morning again. Actually, I have two, by two ways of announcement to get going before I tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, can we give a hand for Katie? Where'd you go? I don't think I need to be up here. We could just call that the message. Great job. What a gift uh, she is to have part of the community. And then I also bring you greetings from Andrew Dvorak, who I hear you recently called and is going to be starting here over the summer. Part of my role with LCMC is to work with certification candidates. And so I get to meet a lot of the new pastors throughout LCMC. And so I've had some great conversation with Andrew. I know that he and family are looking forward to being here with you this summer. So he sends his greetings along 
Uh, like Judy said, I am a husband. I'm a dad. I recently celebrated 15 years of marriage with my wife, Jenna. And so we got the chance to celebrate a few weeks ago. That overlapped with a great thing, and that is Hamilton being in the Twin Cities. Has anybody seen Hamilton, sung the songs, got them stuck in your head? Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this, what I find to be great musical about Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers. I have sung the music. I've listened to it. It was probably one of my top albums last year, if you ask Spotify. And it overlaps with me just really enjoying history as well. And so I was looking forward to seeing it live and in person. My wife really loves it, so it's fun to take her. And we got to go see Hamilton. Now, I've watched it on Disney+, Plus, so I have seen it once before. But two weeks ago, we got the chance to go and watch it live. And it's really good that they told me to turn off my cell phone before everything got started. Because as I was sitting there watching, listening to all that is taking place and just being kind of enraptured, just taken aback by all that was happening, all of a sudden I started hearing these lines in the story that I hadn't heard before. I started thinking about things that were taking place and wondering why that little piece of the Alexander Hamilton puzzle was put in there. And if it was me on a normal day, I would have pulled out my phone and started Googling as I watched the show. If you're a Crown follower on Netflix, I do the same thing as I watch episodes of The Crown. I want to learn all the details. And as we tell these stories of people We only get to tell short segments, right? Little glimpses into the lives of these people. And I think good authors build so much into these little compact stories that they're just so multifaceted, that they want us to dig in and get into it a little bit more and more and more. And so each time we come back to it, we hear something a little different. And the author John, I think, is one of these authors. Now, I don't want to compare Lin-Manuel Miranda to a gospel writer. That's not exactly what I'm saying. But the way they layer these stories, I find beautiful. And John has done such a good job as you go through these seven signs that he tells us about. He stopped numbering them. We kind of have to pick up the numbering on our own. But we're in the third sign today that was read for us. There's a lot to it. And I could spend, I've actually set a timer for myself because I would nerd out on a lot of the little details and you don't have time for that, nor probably the patience. But we want to look at kind of this question around why we believe John has already, as wraps up his gospel, his account of Jesus, And he tells us exactly why he wrote it. And you've looked at this before. John 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. John says he he grouped these together. He wrote these little pictures of Jesus so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing... You may have life and life in his name. And so I want to look at this miracle story today, this sign that John writes down for us, out of the lens of how does it show us that Jesus is the Son of God, and how does it lead us to life? 
How does it radically change our world or orient us in the world today in a new and different way? Why would John choose this passage? And I start by word of bias. My bias is this, that the gospel writers tell their story in a way that shows us that wherever Jesus is, whatever ground he inhabits or community that he's a part of at any given time, he brings heaven into that place. He brings all the fullness of the kingdom, as Matthew calls it, into whatever space he inhabits. And so as he walks into this pool of Bethesda, another one of those things, if you ever hear the hospital name Bethesda, this is where we get it, the healing at Bethesda, that wherever Jesus goes, so as he goes to this pool, he brings the kingdom of heaven with him. And in that, John is going to show the two components I think we ultimately need to believe. We need the power of God at work, and we need to know of God's character. We need to know that Jesus actually cares, that he is on our side. And so I want to look at the text a little bit, or little components of it, and look for those two things. Where is God's power on display? Where can we see that at work? And then, how do we see God's heart, God's character through it? So the first place I want to look, if you have your Bible open, is verses 8 and 9. And this is where we see God's power, the thing that ultimately makes this a sign, come to life. And it says in 8 and 9, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was healed or cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I want to use the word, I'll go back and say, at once the man was made well. Because this is the same word that Jesus uses in his question that we'll get to in a minute. But ultimately, Jesus speaks and life happens. This has happened before. At the very beginning, if you turn to the very first pages in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and things come into existence. God says, let there be light and there is light. God says, let there be plants on the earth and things grow and bloom. Spring and summer take place. God says, let there be life. And there's animals and there's birds and there's fish in the sea. When God speaks, life happens. When God speaks, actions take place. John, as he introduces this gospel, says the Word came. The Word put on flesh, as the message says, and moves into the neighborhood. The Word is Jesus, but when the Word speaks, life happens. Creation happens. God brings all of this fullness and power into place. Ultimately, the kingdom is there. As we talk about the kingdom, John, again, as he writes the book of Revelation, is going to use the word that all things become new, that all things are restored, that a life like the garden where in the beginning when God created life, we're going to see at the end that life is restored. And so we see here in this picture as God speaks, life happens, restoration happens. Power has been used. The power of God to create and make things whole has gone out from Jesus. 
But power is only so good. You probably know some powerful people. That could be a CEO. That could be, maybe it's somebody who uses their words well. We know powerful people exist, but power in and of itself, while it might be interesting, is not always something worth following. And so that's why I think John is always good to follow up any manifestation of God's power with God's character. And so we want to know how this is for you and for me. And so we take a step back and we look at verse 6. Notice it says, when Jesus saw him. I think it's interesting how often throughout Scripture, Jesus sees people. He sees a woman at the well. He sees this man by the pool. He sees people and has compassion on them. Jesus sees them. And then he asks the question, do you want to get well? If you were the man who had been ill, we'll say, for 38 years, isn't this kind of a mean question? Do you think it's a little obvious? Insofar as the man doesn't actually really answer Jesus' question. His answer, Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? And the man essentially answers, if I could make it happen, wouldn't I have done that already? And we can have this barrier to Jesus' question. But Jesus sees him and asks, do you want to get well? And whether he says it or not, Jesus moves on behalf of this man. His desire is that this man would be well, that he would be restored to health. And for this man, it's not just bodily health. It says that he is made well, he's healthy, he's cured as we move into seven and eight, but it's not just his body. You see, because this man was always in need of something. He needed to be carried to the pool of Bethesda this day and any other day it went. He needed help to get around to other places. He couldn't, even if he wanted to, he probably wasn't able to go into the temple or into the synagogue to worship because he was probably considered unclean. And yet, when Jesus makes him well, when Jesus restores him to health, he doesn't just restore his body. He restores part of his soul that it was probably being discouraged and broken down and hard-hearted. He restores his community. He probably restores a sense of purpose because now this man can worship again. He can be with his friends and neighbors in community in a full way. He can begin to work and contribute and to give back. The wholeness, the wellness that Jesus brings for this man isn't limited to just maybe the infirmity that has him in this place. It's such a bigger concept than that. So we see in Jesus' character, we see a sense of compassion and a sense of care for this man, a sense of wanting that he be whole. The Old Testament calls that shalom. How many of you are familiar with the word shalom at all? It's a sense of wholeness, that it isn't just he's healthy, that it isn't just uh, what we could think of as content or happy. But shalom is a sense of, like the song says, it is well with my soul. 
that things in my community are good, that my relationships with my neighbor is well, that I'm healthy, that I'm anchored in the person and the space of Jesus. Jesus is bringing that kind of wholeness. And then another piece of Jesus's, I think, character, God's character that comes out is if you skip down to verse 13. I think this is easy to overlook. See, they asked him who it was that had healed him, but the man who was healed had no idea who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is festival season. People are flooding into Jerusalem. There would have been crowds around. Jesus isn't doing this out in the outskirts where no one can see him. Jesus is doing this amidst lots of people that have flooded into Jerusalem. There are probably lots of people lying around with this one man. And yet, Jesus sees him, moves toward him, heals him. And at that point, it could have been all about Jesus. Because people would have seen what had taken place. The people in that immediate circle probably would have jumped up and down and been excited and may have grabbed onto him. There would have been great excitement at that point. And Jesus had all the power in the world at that moment. They could have carried him into the temple. He could have probably given speeches and healed others and made a great commotion and made it all about him. But he doesn't. In Jesus' humility, he slides back into the crowd. He lets this man have a moment where he's probably celebrating and going to find the friends and family that carried him to that place to show them. He's probably going to fulfill the law that says he needs to go find the religious leaders because they're the ones that can pronounce him to be healed and welcome him back into community. Jesus in his humility slides back into the crowd instead of taking center stage. What's interesting is in the end, he ultimately gets the glory. The man tells about this Jesus, this one who healed him. And I'm sure he continued to proclaim Jesus' name until his dying breath. But at the moment, Jesus slides away in his humility. And we might think it's a strange instance that he would do that, but it makes a lot of sense if you think about the character of Jesus. The way that he wasn't about self-promotion, he wasn't about always taking center stage, and yet he gives us the ability to give him center stage and to put him there. And so in that, we see the power of God that is going out, the ability to heal and recreate and make well, and we see God's character that he has care and compassion and humility. And John, I think, sees those things and points those things out and ultimately asks the question, can you believe that? Do you want to follow that? Because there's life in that. And it brings us to a point of making the question for you and for me is do we believe that? Is there something in it for me, if I ask the real question that I want to ask. Because the people that should have been on the lookout for this thing of God, for this movement of God, don't see it. 
the religious leaders in the midst of this festival on the Sabbath, the day given to God to reflect on all the things that God has done, they miss it. But John wants us to ask the question, do you have eyes to see? Do you have a heart that's willing to accept what Jesus wants for you and for me? Because ultimately, I think God wants you to be well. And He is the one that has the power to do it. He wants you to be well. He wants you to have that kind of shalom and that peace where we can sit and know the God of the universe. Where we can be right in our community. Where we can be well taken care of. This idea of being well, of being healthy, of being whole. I think it find it slightly ironic. I didn't think about this honestly until this morning that we are in a place that is focused on wellness, are we not? That when God says be well, we can look in all kinds of places. This man was looking to this miraculous pool, hoping against hope that the waters would cure him. And in our lives we look in all kinds of places to find that source of wellness, that thing that would make us whole again. Because I have yet to meet a person, honestly, like Katie said a little bit ago, we all have a brokenness. We all have a sinful side. We all have a piece of us that is longing to be whole, that is longing to be set right. I mean, a number of years ago, and this won't be a surprise, the largest segment of book publishing in the world, I should say the fastest growing category of books in the world, were self-help books. Books about all about how I can muster up the strength inside myself to make myself well. And even if we come into a place like this that's focused on health and wellness, if we come in with an attitude of when we're kind of broken and crumbling inside, we can latch on to certain components. If my health were just right, if I were just the right weight, if I just had the right mindset, if I could just within me muster up the strength to get it right, then I would be well. But Jesus comes with a different attitude. Jesus comes with a power that says, I want to move in your life. I want you to see that you are worthy, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you are beloved, that in my presence, you don't have to do any of those other things to be held by me, to be loved by me, to be cared for by me. You don't have to do any of those things to come into my presence. Instead, Jesus comes looking for you. Jesus wants to find you. One of the things I'm excited about in my role, as I always honestly have to like re-look at my title, Coordinator for Leadership and Pastoral Development. Honestly, for me, that has two sides. That has getting to know pastors like Bjorn and, and leaders of churches, congregational uh, leaders, council leaders, elder leaders, but also worship leaders and youth pastors and things like that and help them develop. What skills do they need? What ways can they grow? But the other side is also what we're calling leader care. To help leaders look at their health and wellness, not in a way that says they have to get 
healthy because then they will be loved by God, or healthy because then they will be a good leader, or healthy because then God will love them. But instead, leader care in the sense that we can look in our areas of health and wellness. Are we relationally healthy? Are we spiritually healthy? Do we have good practice in our lives? Am I emotionally healthy? Am I dealing with the baggage that I carry from my life so that I don't bleed that out on other people? And again, we don't do that. We don't encourage people to come to a place like this because it will earn them something in the kingdom of God. Instead, what we do is we say, as God is working in your life, as God has redeemed you and called you and loved you, how can I walk alongside you to help you grow, to help you flourish, to help you find that wellness and shalom that God calls us to? The other side is I have a vision for the church as a great place of healing. That's why I think it's so great that you are here. I love the Y Church concept. Because what you're doing is you're bringing hope and life and love. And it gives meaning to everything that happens in this building. That the embodiment of this community, the embodiment of Christ sitting around these tables as family, as community together, you give life and purpose to everything else that happens here. You become a heartbeat in a sense, of that life. And as we come together in places like this, we help people live and to grow. Now, people will tell you that I encourage a lot of people to go to therapy or counseling. I believe in it. I think a lot of us can benefit from it. But I also think that as the church, As you and I gather together, as we sit around tables like this, I love this, by the way. The fact that you're sitting at tables and you're not just in rows, it makes me unbelievably happy. Side tangent, sorry. I truly believe the church is best in circles, not rows. So the fact that you do it, I think is just beautiful. But as we do this, and the reason those circles matter so much is as we get to know one another, and you know one another's names, and you know one another's stories, Out comes the ways in which we wrestle and the ways in which we hurt and the things that make us lame, lying by pools, looking for life in the places that aren't going to give us life. And we begin to walk with one another and speak life and truth into one another. I truly believe we wouldn't need near as much therapists in our lives and in our world today if the church embodied that in a way that we cared for one another. That we held one another's stories with dignity and with grace. That we are active in community with one another. I think it's a beautiful picture of the community. Because God is ultimately for you. You know that? Turn to your neighbor and just say, Jesus is for you. And the place I go back to over and over again, Jesus saw this man. Jesus sees the woman. Jesus sees people and has compassion on them. Jesus sees you. When you come to the communion table, it is the bread that is broken for you, given for you. It is the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus is always on the mission of moving for you, for your health, for your life, for a life of wellness, 
for a life of wholeness, for a life of grace. Know that you, brothers and sisters, are held by the one that loves you more than you could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the ways that you bring life. Lord, that you don't shame us, you don't guilt us. Lord, instead you call us to yourself. Lord, so I pray for the brothers and sisters in this space, your sons and daughters. Lord, that they would know that they are loved by you, that they are seen by you. Lord, I pray that they would hear your call in their friends and their neighbors as they reach out in love. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one of us. Know that you want the best for us. And that you are the source of life. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.